thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far and has helped make 52 Weeks of Hustle such a success. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. I'm excited to have joined General Sports Worldwide, where Lou DePauli and I will be focusing on executive search and team consulting. Our services will range from recruiting, onboarding, training, development, business planning, consulting, and much more. We're really looking to be a full service agency for our clients to assist them in their return on investment and return on energy. Please let me know if you have any interest. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com, as well as to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. When you have an obsession and a passion for something, you should find a way to be a part of the bigger picture. Our next guest had an obsession for sports early on in her life and had a passion for bringing people together, so she made a career out of it. I'm excited to have our next guest, Jessica Berman, Deputy Commissioner and Executive Vice President of Business Affairs for the National Lacrosse League. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Travis. Jessica, I'm very excited for our conversation today and definitely want to find out everything about the National Lacrosse League. And let's start from the beginning. You grew up in Brooklyn, New York with three older sisters and an older brother. And I'm sure that that was just a competitive family. So how did sports become such an obsession early on in your life? Thinking back, uh, my brother played sports. He actually was a football player in Brooklyn. And then he actually moved to live with his dad in Florida, Uh, actually went on to play in, I believe it was like division two or three in college as a running back. And I'm imagining that that sort of laid some of the groundwork for my career and my interest in sports. But really for me, it all clicked when uh, I attended a New York Islanders game and, um, having grown up in Brooklyn, New York, where it was really a melting pot of people from different backgrounds. And I was always as obsessed with diversity as I end up being with sports. And, uh, at this New York Islanders game, when I was about 16 years old, the Islanders scored a goal. And I happened to be sitting next to two people who, were from very different backgrounds and they were high-fiving and hugging. And I was so captivated by this moment that I asked them whether they knew each other and whether they were at the game together. And they said, no. And then I said, oh, do you typically sit in these seats? Like, what's the basis for this connection? And they said, we both just love the Islanders. It was just like such a matter of fact moment for them. And it was really an epiphany for me that I decided literally in that moment that I was going to work in this industry and make sure to be part of an industry that had the power to change the world. And I really still feel so privileged to work in an industry that has that power and influence over communities and society, particularly in today's times. 
What a great story too, you know, in, in the business and revenue generation areas, we talk a lot about making sure you're building relationships, assessing, and at 16 years old, you're assessing the people around them and, and figuring out their, their, you know, value proposition. And so you were also Jessica, a dancer and a cheerleader. So an athlete growing up around all sports, and then you decide to go to the university of Michigan. It always pains me to say that being an Ohio state fan, but regardless, you go to Ann Arbor and receive a degree in sports management. Why'd you choose to go to Michigan? Am I allowed to jab you for winning? I, I just know it's coming, so I'm excited. <laughs> go blue, go blue. Um, I, it's it's one of the few moments in in my sort of adult life that I can say that in in response to someone who went to the Ohio State. So I have to I have to seize the moment where I can. Um, yeah, for me, you know, one of the reasons I went to Michigan was because they are such a powerhouse school in terms of sports, and I really, like I said, just personally like to be around that kind of energy. I also thought, you know, maybe there would be an opportunity to work with the sports teams through the athletic department, which, which wasn't really a thing in the nineties, like it is today. Uh, I sort of paved the way or created this role, which now of course, like is a full fledged job um, where I was the manager of the Michigan men's hockey, football, and baseball teams. And my role was really to do anything I could to help the team. But more specifically, I kept stats. Uh, I helped prepare media notes and game notes. I wrote stories about particular players. Um, I helped prepare them for interviews. Um, So really just sort of like the sport management side of college sport. Um, and Michigan uh, has a school of kinesiology where sport management's a major, and uh, that was the school I applied to and immediately knew I would uh, study within. Um, interestingly, it actually exposed me a lot of different areas of academics. One of the core requirements in the school of kinesiology is when I was there, at least, was that you take anatomy and physiology, you really sort of had to understand movement in order to be a sport management major, which surprisingly came in in handy in my career when I was a lawyer at the NHL doing injury grievances, um, really understanding the mechanics of the knee and the shoulder and the hip. I was like, oh, actually, I I could name every bone. I know every muscle. (laughs) Like So um, that was actually surprisingly helpful. And it was a great area to study uh, at Michigan. And a lot of athletes also were part of that major. So it was really an opportunity to just continue to be around that energy and ecosystem of sports. That's awesome. And, you know, you briefly talked about in this business, we talk a lot about going above and beyond and going out and just getting what you want and finding a way. And you did exactly that. As, as you mentioned, you created the role with game notes for the baseball, hockey and football teams and, and PR. And so What's your advice to the listeners out there of just always going above and beyond no matter what? Well, my value proposition in life sort of defined early in my high school years and maybe even earlier was really that I was a hard worker. And uh, it's not to say I was a bad student, but scholastic achievement, academics wasn't really my passion. Uh, It wasn't really what I put my full energy towards. um, And it wasn't really the place where I felt like I was going to differentiate myself, uh, at least until I went to law school. I I sort of focused much more on on. my my internships and work experience and work ethic. 
And uh, I think I, I got that in part because my, my sister was an overachiever and uh, in school. And so I, you know, our, our childhood, I think, tends to shape how we view ourselves. And I didn't really see myself competing with her in the school sphere because she was literally a Doobie Hauser. She actually skipped college and went from high school to medical school. So she, she was like insanely smart, um, still is. And so I had to find somewhere else to stand out in my family. At least that's how I felt. Um, and, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur and hard worker and I sort of identified and aligned myself with his, uh, pathways to success. And so my advice to people listening is just focus on your strengths. You know, I think we spend probably too much time thinking about and focusing on our weaknesses. You know, I've really tried to, when I think about my work style and leadership, I think we all need to be self-aware and take stock of the areas where we have weaknesses so that we can mitigate them or minimize their impact on our day-to-day, sort of keep them in check. But I, I don't think we all spend enough time thinking about our strengths and really doubling down and leaning into our strengths because those are the places where you're going to be able to excel potentially more efficiently than the next person because it's a place that you're inherently better at. Um, for me, that is definitely sort of your more executive functioning type skills, like multitasking and and work ethic and, you know, things that are what probably are more described as like softer skills, EQ, um, as opposed to hard, quote, hard skills. Right. No, absolutely. And you you certainly, you'll focus on your strengths and definitely made a name of yourself, you know, and even you were awarded, you know, the early achievement award, and then you delivered the commencement address in 2015 with the University of Michigan. And so how was the rewarding was that experience for you? That was really surreal for me. Um, I mean, 2015, I was not even 40. Uh, I couldn't believe I was standing on stage and giving a commencement address. It was very strange moment for me. Um, But, you know, I I think it was a moment in time where I realized that um, the reason I was selected to do that or asked to do that is because not just my professional achievements, but sort of the intersection of my personal life and things that I've overcome in my personal life and how those things have translated into successes in my career. And it's really um, sort of in hindsight helped me to think about the holistic approach to career and your life. And um, to this day, I definitely lean into and embrace the areas of my personal life that have helped me in my profession and vice versa. And so really seeing that as um, a, a, a symbiotic relationship where I think the mentality of, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago was this very clear separation between personal and professional life. Um, And that may work for some people. I think for me, again, because of the nature of my strengths, the intersection and the sort of blurriness in my personal and professional life actually helps me in all aspects of my life. And that is definitely the reason I had that opportunity. And that's certainly, you know, to your point, a common theme in this business, right? What is that work-life balance? How do you have a personal life, but also still be successful professionally? And I think you had the nail on the head, embrace it. And, and they are running parallel paths and, and even working together most of the time. Absolutely. And, you know, 
As you're receiving, Jessica, your degree in sports management there at the University of Michigan, you decided to go right to Fordham University School of Law and receive your JD. Was that always the plan? Or when did that hit that it's like, I, I want to go to law school? During my sophomore year of college, one of my many internships was for a sports agent whose name is Steve Forrest. And he went to law school and actually went to Fordham. And he represented Jim Harbaugh, ironically, at that time. And so I worked very closely with Steve on Jim uh, and his uh, foray and, and transfer trade to the Baltimore Ravens, where uh, we sort of helped him get it set up in that new city. And I really learned that side of the business enough to know that it wasn't for me, um, <laughs> not because of Jim, but just because the nature of the work. I definitely did not lean into my strengths, um, but working with Steve really influenced me and sort of made me feel like I wanted to be a lawyer. I also um, went to James Madison High School in Brooklyn, where Ruth Bader Ginsburg went, and she's always been one of my icons, sheroes, as <laughs> as we often say. Um, she, I have quotes of hers all over. Um, my office, but my favorite one is fight for the things you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. That's, that's one of my favorite quotes from her. Um, and, you know, she's just so iconic in the way that she approaches or approached, I should say, um, may she rest in peace, debate and discussion and respectful discourse between people who disagree. You know, her best friend on the bench was Scalia and her and Scalia um, were always on opposite sides of uh, the majority opinion and the dissent, but they were best friends in their personal life. And I really tried to model my career around that um, and sort of respect and recognize that you don't always have to agree, but there needs to be professionalism and respect between people. And then actually having disagreement really helps you to get to a better outcome. That is sort of the fundamental tenet of diversity and inclusion is that being around people who are different from you and think differently from you, make you better and help you and help you to think differently. And so thinking outside the box a little bit than, than what you're typically used to. Yeah. You know, challenging you and, you know, really stepping away from the default of surrounding yourself with what I call bobbleheads, you know, people who are just going to validate what you think or say, which feels good in the short term, makes you feel really smart. But all those people who are bobbleheads are probably just like you. And, you know, they approach it with the same perspective. You're definitely not going to have an opportunity to think about unintended consequences or the things that you haven't thought of or different perspectives of how your decision might be perceived or uh, what might impact the success of whatever initiative you're trying to launch. And so I was attracted to go to law school because of all of those um, ways of thinking and feeling like being a lawyer would be really good sort of technical training for me in that way, which it was. And, uh, and so, yeah, all those, for all those reasons, I, I decided to go to law school. And I, I loved your analogy about the bobbleheads, you know, and, and when you're around the, the like-minded people on one end, it's great, but you're not pushed or challenged often. 
and, and you want yeah, to challenge and think outside the box and you know be able to think big. So, you know, I often say that um, I actually seek out those moments where someone's feedback to me or questions are confusing to me. That's actually like your moment to be like, let me really seek to understand because if this person, whomever it is, assuming it's someone you respect and think is smart and you value their work product, if they're asking a question or giving you feedback that doesn't make sense to you, you've probably missed something. And rather than I think the default or the inclination to be like, oh, you don't get it. So therefore I'm not going to spend time trying to reconcile or understand why you're asking this question or to be defensive right. about the question. Um, I've really worked hard to sort of recognize those moments where I feel uncomfortable because I'm being challenged and to say, oh, this is a moment that could actually make whatever I'm trying to do better. It might take longer. It might push me to a place that is uncomfortable. I might feel confused. Um, but ultimately, if we can address whatever this moment is, it'll make whatever we're trying to do better. Yep, absolutely. And Jessica, right after law school, you receive a job with a firm that you stayed for three and a half years that you represented sports leagues. So you really kept your obsessions going. And during your time there, you represented collective bargainings, mediations, arbitrations, and litigations. And so coming right out of, out of school, how was that overall experience for you? It was um, it was like boot camp, lawyer boot camp. <laughs> um, you know, some people refer to those early years in law firms like dog years because every year is like seven. Um, <laughs> but it, the truth is, uh, it was the best training I could have ever gotten for my career. Um, I am still very much in touch with the people who I worked for and with at Proskauer, I still use them as sounding board and both formally and informally as outside counsel and getting advice in different areas from a legal, but also from a business perspective. I mean, they're just the lawyers at Proskauer. I, I, I don't mean to sound like a, this is like a puff piece, but um, they are just really super practical and smart. Um, and I, it's rare, it's been the rare occurrence where, uh, someone hasn't truly added value in their contribution to, to whatever the issue or challenges that we're facing. And so, um, I'm a huge fan of theirs. Um, I don't think it was ever going to be for me in terms of it being where I stayed, like to become a partner. Um, I sort of knew that from the get-go and there's a huge, alumni network of Proskauer lawyers who work in sports, including the commissioners of many of the, the leagues, you know, the late David Stern, Gary Batman, um, a lot of the in-house lawyers who work at the various professional sports leagues came from Proskauer. So it, it definitely has that sort of Proskauer school mentality where you feel like you're, for those who want to work in the sports industry, having the chance to sort of be indoctrinated into the industry and have a, a badge or a rite of passage once you put in your time. So um, it was a great experience for me. Well, it certainly helped you and connect you to, to another obsession of yours, which was the sports world. And, you know, really in the sports world, no matter what role you're in, you're always going to have to deal with rejection, objections, challenges, things you can't control. And you're a big part of that as you assisted the NHL during the 0405 lockout. 
And post that, you then went on to work at the NHL league office and worked on the current deal and you're on the league side, again, for the NHL lockout 12-13. So at this point in time, it seems like you're a little bit of the lockout master. And so, so how were some of those overall experiences for you? Yeah, well, I, I um, unfortunately, I, I feel a little bit like a work stoppage export, expert um, in the industry. We had the full season work stoppage in 0405. We had a partial season work stoppage in 1213. And actually, for different reasons, of course, in my current role in the NLL, we, we had a work stoppage or we did not play for the 2021 season. So um, two and a half years of not playing in a sport. Um, definitely, yeah, something that, uh, has given me an, a good work experience, but nothing I would like to repeat <laughs> for, for yet another time. But, yeah. um, yeah, I would say that, uh, those experiences really taught me a lot about how to manage internal stakeholders, uh, balance external communication. Um, again, some of the, the, uh, key areas that I was always interested in, which is figuring out how to respectfully disagree and find compromise uh, is really the basis of labor relations, which is why I was attracted to that area of the law and collective bargaining specifically. Um, you know, when I was at the NHL and working with the NHLPA, we definitely went to war in terms of them wanting their goals to be achieved and us wanting our goals to be achieved. But there was never a time where I looked back on my interactions with the union and had even an ounce of regret in terms of the professionalism with which I approached it and the relationships that were built. I like to say that labor relations are like a marriage where you can't get a divorce because we really do need each other in the sports industry. And so it really keeps everyone in most circumstances, approaching the negotiation through the lens of compromise and uh, being a good listener and trying to understand what the driving force is of the other side's uh, goals and objectives and forcing your side to prioritize what you really need to achieve and building out a strategy for how to get to that end result. Um, and I really, I really like that uh, and have sort of kept that going for basically my whole career since, since I graduated law school in 2002. Uh, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, going back, you spent three and a half years and then you went into the NHL league office back in 06. I'm sure you would have never guessed you end up staying almost 13 years with the league and you started out as senior counsel, then VP of deputy general counsel, then on to VP of special projects and corporate, corporate social responsibility to VP of community development, culture and growth. And then finally, the executive director of the NHL foundation. And so what do you feel like specifically with the NHL league office you did on a consistent basis to continue to get elevated in more and more responsibility? It's a great question. Um, relationships is are the key i would say to that progression of responsibility and opportunity that i was fortunate enough to get at the nhl um knowing that uh commissioner bettman and deputy commissioner bill daly 
had trust in me and wanted to give me opportunities to grow and learn and to be successful, but also to contribute to the league's growth and success. And, uh, and that only comes from, as we were discussing earlier, hard work, uh, being consistent, being reliable, being willing to go that extra mile when you're asked to do a project that would result in XYZ work product to take the time to think through, okay, well, if they've asked me to do this project, maybe this other element can be incorporated that might help them and they don't even realize it, you know, really just like thinking about, you know, how can I offer value beyond the specific four corners of what I'm being asked to do and anticipating the needs of the people you work for and with so that they just want you around and they want you to be happy and they want you to feel fulfilled because you add that much value. And um, at least in my experience, those have been the ways that I've been able to get opportunities that maybe weren't initially contemplated in in my role. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Jessica Berman, Deputy Commissioner and Executive Vice President of Business Affairs for the National Lacrosse League. So Jessica, you're having a tremendous career, working your way up the ranks in the NHL league office. And, and I'm sure over the years, you were receiving all kinds of calls about roles. And then the National Lacrosse League came calling. Why was that not the opportunity and the, the right time for you? When I met Nick Sikavich, who's the commissioner of the NLL, it was really uh, at a perfect moment in time for me to pick my head up and really think about what is the next five to 10 years of my career look like working at the NHL was my dream job. And, uh, I spent 13 years there in part because I really got to a point where I couldn't imagine leaving the NHL and my identity sort of became intertwined with the the league office, which was in some ways very comforting, but in other ways, I think, not really how I saw myself. Um, And I had made a decision actually before I met Nick that for the right opportunity, I would start to think about looking elsewhere. 
um, mostly because I wanted an opportunity to really pull together everything that I had done in my career, having served in a couple of different roles at the NHL, um, and to be doing all of those things at the same time. And I recognized that at my age, my tenure, um, probably was going to be in a circumstance where I was working at probably more of a challenger property because I certainly wasn't going to have a role like I have today in a league like the NHL or the NBA. I, I needed to sort of spread my wings in a place that was more risk tolerant, that was pushing for growth um, and really sort of leverage everything that I learned working for Gary and Bill and all the other amazing leaders and executives at the NHL. Um, and, and really the NLL was the perfect mix of those things. Plus many of the owners in the NLL actually own teams in the NHL, which provided some overlap in the stakeholders and constituents I'd be working with and for. And that was just like a huge benefit for me because uh, some of the other challenger properties that I had looked at, you know, would have been a wholesale clean slate. Like literally I know nobody, Um, which I was prepared to do. um, But this was really a nice balance where I was walking into a situation where it was completely new, um, definitely a completely new role, probably 40% of my role was going to be areas that I had never done before, which I was really interested in stretching. Right. But it also had sort of the benefit of people who at least either were familiar with me or had worked with me previously. And so I was walking in with a little bit more confidence and comfort in the role. And so uh, for all those reasons, um, including that Nick, and I really hit it off in terms of our vision. And I really saw that uh, he could teach me so much at this next stage of my career. And that I immediately saw that the things that he was looking for in terms of a number two person were the exact things that I felt like I could support him with. Um, and so it, it appeared to me to be a very, Uh, mutually beneficial relationship. And that's actually what it's turned out to be. It's been great. No, that's awesome. We're going to certainly dive into the awesome opportunities and experiences and what the NLL has to offer. And Jessica, on paper, it could be looked as a little bit of a risk going from the NHL, who's been around so long, to the NLL. And so what's your advice to listeners on just doing something different and being willing to step out of their comfort zone? It was definitely a risk. Um, I will say that my kids um, initially said me leaving the NHL was the worst thing that ever happened to them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's that's in part because they're hockey fans and players um, and loved that I worked for the NHL um, for all the reasons that you would imagine. But I, I felt that, and I knew that, uh, leaving the NHL did not mean I was leaving everything that I had built my relationships, my network, my work experience. It's not as if that melts away the second you walk out the door. And 
it's still such a huge part of my life. Um, I mean, 13 years is a lot of years. I just last week went to the U S hockey hall of fame. Uh, I was invited to the, to Toronto in November for the induction ceremony with Frank Brown, um, who was inducted into the hockey hall of fame, who I worked really closely with at the NHL. So I, I think I learned quickly, um, what, what I had hoped would be true. And certainly my kids <laughs> learned too, that, you know, taking that risk, um, at the right time and in the right circumstances doesn't necessarily mean you're losing or giving up the things that you've built. And over the last two plus years, I've had the opportunity to do things in my day-to-day role that I would have never had a chance to do at the NHL. And, uh, again, it's, it's more of a personal question, you know, what, what do you want in your career? And for me, I had made the decision that I I felt that I had more to give to the industry going back to, you know, sports has the power to change the world. You know, that's Nelson Mandela's quote, which is right over my shoulder Yeah, because I feel like I decided when I was 16 years old that I was going to do everything I could to support the growth of this industry because I genuinely believe that it can make an impact on society and that for me to be able to reach my potential, I needed to go to a different environment that was exactly what you said, more more risk tolerant, uh, more risky in the way that they approach business decisions um, to give me an opportunity to grow and stretch and learn um, and work with different people. And, you know, who knows, you know, how the NLL will grow to become and has already started to become uh, less, a little bit less of a challenger property and more of a mainstay mainstream property, which is some of the growth I experienced at the NHL. Um and exciting to see come to fruition here. Come together. Well, Jessica, when you were hired in 2019 with the NLL, you became and continue to be the first female deputy commissioner of a men's professional sports league. And you're certainly leading the charge and being a role model mentor and someone everyone should be looking up to. And so why has it always been so important to you to give back to the next industry leaders? Number one, and probably most importantly, people did it for me. Uh, there is no way I would have had the opportunities I had in my career without the mentors and the sponsors that have really embraced me and my potential and my career and my future really since I was a teenager. I mean, looking back, it's, it's the number of people, you know, people talk about, you know, build your board of directors, build your personal cohort of people who, can help you substantively, but also with your career projection and and progression. And my my list of people is like insanely long of people who have been part of my life and invested their time in me. And so I am relentless about doing the same for the next generation. Uh, And for those who have reached out to me, they, they know it to be true. Unfortunately, as my schedule has gotten busier, those mentoring and advice calls are tend to be, you know, 
sometimes like 9 p.m. on a Tuesday. Sometimes they're 3 p.m. on a Sunday while I'm sitting and watching my kids soccer game. You know, I, I really do try to squeeze it in where I can. Um, and it tends to be off hours at this point, but I, I will never not do it. It's just been built into me that it's my responsibility to give back to everyone. Um, but I, I do have a special place in my heart for those young women who are aspiring to work in our industry um, where, you know, I, I can't wait till there are more of me in the industry. Um, and certainly that is happening, you know, maybe not technically with the deputy commissioner title, but there are a lot of senior women working in sports now. And so there's a lot of women who are doing great things to aspire to for, for women who are wondering, is this an industry where I can thrive and survive? No, and, and Jessica, certainly appreciate that. And on behalf of everyone, thank you. And, you know, that's a lot of the reason why I started this podcast, 52 Weeks of Hustle, is, is for industry leaders like yourself that they love to give back and provide advice. And I know your schedule is busy with the season just starting. So I appreciate you taking taking some time today to, to share your advice and your story. And, you know, Jessica, the National Lacrosse League, it's been playing since 1987. And your main goal with the league is to provide strategic direction for all growth initiatives and legal matters, including you're overseeing human resources, team services, marketing, communications, lacrosse operations, community engagement, and the governance of the league. And you've talked a little bit about the excitement for you of joining NLL. And in this business, we talk a lot about storytelling. And what's your ultimately your elevator pitch for the National Lacrosse League? This league has the perfect combination of quality ownership which is the key to any professional sports leagues growth with uh, appetite and interest in being innovative and pushing the boundaries of the norm in, in our industry. So it's a place to test and learn and to pilot new ideas, new technologies, uh, innovative initiatives, and all of that coupled with, and this is to me, this, this last piece is like the clincher for me is the reason I was beyond excited about working at the NLL, which is the culture of box lacrosse, which is rooted in the indigenous community and every single player and coach who works in our game, the first thing they would tell you if you ask them to talk about the culture of box lacrosse would be about the creator's game and the respect and values that the indigenous community expects for us to integrate into the way that we put on our product, tell our stories, engage with partners, and that that is a guiding principle for literally everything that we do. It's the basis on which we launched NLL Unites last month, which is our league-wide CSR initiative. And again, I go back to what we started with. I work in sports because it has the power to change the world. And that recipe within our game is so authentic and organic. And it's just honest. It's, it's honestly the, the thing and the reason that people want to and do work within this league. And so for me, from a growth perspective, it is a huge untapped opportunity that we are absolutely starting to lean into, continuing to lean into, and 
we'll do a lot more with as as the weeks, months, and years progress. Nice. And, and part of the NLL plans is to get to 16 teams by 2023. The team in Las Vegas you know, is, is at 15. You're in the process of firming up 16. And so what else from a league perspective are you most excited about for the future of the NLL? I, I have to start with our new media partners because in order to grow and replicate the avid fans that we already have in the league, we need to be in the place where sports fans go. And we have achieved that uh, in for the 21-22 season and for the next two seasons beyond that. We have three-year deals in Canada and the U.S. with each of TSN and ESPN. And uh, that to me is a game changer for us. Um, you know, seeing us on ESPN plus, which is, you know, where every sports fan consumes content. Um, And also on linear for sort of the more traditional sports fan who likes to turn their TV on and not have to go to an app with a smart TV. Uh, We have games on linear. We have a game of the week in TSN. We have uh, 10 linear games uh, on ESPN proper. And uh, that to me is a huge opportunity. And we've done that as well with our merch. Uh, We have announced uh, last year a deal with Fanatics. Again, the strategy is we have to be where sports fans go because we know that we have the product to reach the next generation of fans. They Absolutely. Once they experience it, we'll love it. And from our fan research, we know that 70% of our fans have never played lacrosse and they are people who are seeking fun and they are event goers and they're looking for a good time. So we are not limited by the more endemic lacrosse community. That being said, uh, grassroots of lacrosse is growing exponentially year over year, more and more kids are playing. And so those are tailwinds for us. And, you know, all of those things together really provide a huge opportunity for us to grow in the short term. And we're certainly continuing to look forward and a lot of exciting parts of the NLL coming up. And Jessica, what a tremendous career you've had. You've had countless awards such as SPJ's 40 Under 40 a founding advisory board member of the Pro Sports Assembly, dedicated to advancing diversity and inclusion in the professional sports industry, amongst many more. And so as you think back to your entire career, what's been your best memory? My best memory. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, the one that comes to mind, I guess, at the moment, uh, maybe because we were just talking about it, is seeing so many of my interns, which I've really leaned into and cultivated throughout my career, achieve amazing successes um, and continuing to serve as a, as a mentor for them. I'll put out just a couple of, of examples of that. Uh, Jessica Boylan um, is, uh, I believe, the co-general counsel now of the New York Mets. Uh, she worked for me at the NHL. Um, Another one who comes to mind is Heather Carrots, who ran LAFC and uh, worked at Relativity Media and is now working at uh, UTA, the talent agency, in a very senior strategic business role. Um, 
you know, those are just a couple that come to mind. There's, there's a lot more, um, but I, you know, that really brings me a lot of joy uh, seeing them. And I feel so proud of their successes. And if I played a small role in helping them to get to where they, they are, I, I feel really proud of that. It certainly is all about the people. And, and you know, certainly, Jessica, this has been great. It's awesome to hear from someone that kept that obsession and passion going for, for everything that you've had in, in their whole life. And you've had an amazing career. So to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Yes, I'm ready. All right. What was the last thing you completed on your bucket list? Um, well, when I was for my 40th birthday, I decided to skydive for the second time I had done it on my 21st birthday. So, um, I, I think I'm going to do a cadence of every 20 years. Hopefully 20 years. My, next, my next one, when I turn 60, I'll have my kids with me in the plane and we'll jump out together, but, um, I'm an adrenaline junkie. So, uh, I think that was probably the last sort of big thing, uh, on my bucket list. That's awesome. If you were on a reality TV show, which one would you love to be on? Oh, this is an easy one because um, uh, we still watch it. I, I don't know if I'm like the only person in America that still watches it, but um, Survivor. I've always wanted to be on Survivor. Uh, I actually submitted a tape when I was in law school and didn't get, <laughs> didn't get picked. Um, the worst decision they've ever made. <laughs> maybe. Some people have suggested that I should reapply now, but yeah. Uh, We'll see. Maybe, maybe one day it'll, it'll be in my future, but something like that or the amazing race. Um, I'm a huge traveler and I love uh, exploring new cultures. I'm very competitive. So I, I like each of those shows for different reasons. And I could see myself one day, maybe doing one of them. If you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Does it have calories or? Oh Yeah. Oh, I'm saying like, can I just, what, like health concerns aside. Oh yeah. What's my favorite food? Yeah. Don't worry about health concerns. Oh, um, I would say, uh, probably pizza, probably pizza. Nice. To close it out. What are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Uh, the first is, um, to honor yourself, uh, really think about where you need to be to be your best self. Sometimes that's work. Sometimes that's your personal life. Sometimes it's going for a walk. Um, so really, you know, be intentional about keeping tabs on yourself um, because, you know, I, I generally and genuinely subscribe to the put your mask on so you can put other people's mask on. Um, And so, you know, honor, honor your, yourself and what you need. So that would be point one. Um, Point two would be work hard. Um, As we've discussed, that's been my key to success. Uh, It's how I've differentiated myself in in everything I do. Um, and I only can do that because of point one, which is that, um, despite the fact that I really try to be efficient and effective pretty much every minute of the day, some of those efficiencies are me shutting down and 
last night I took my 11 year old out for dinner at six o'clock instead of continuing to work. And that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I did. Um, So, uh, so that's number two. And I guess number three is um, really about relationship building. Um, Something that some people refer to as relationship before task. Um, If you really want people to be there to support you and to be part of your achievements, which you cannot do alone in this industry, you really have to spend the time to build those quality relationships. Um, for me, my, my mom has always called me a people collector um, mm-hmm. since I was a kid. And uh, that continues to be true for me. Um, and it's really what drives me and brings me so much value in my daily life. And so um, lean into those relationships, spend the time listening, learning, wanting to help other people. And that'll in turn make them want to help you. Now, such great advice throughout the podcast, certainly with, you know, honoring yourself, you know, the, the podcast name is hustle. It's all about working hard and the effort you put into it and building relationships goes such a long way. And, and Jessica, thank you so much. It's a pleasure talking to you. Certainly excited about the, the future of the NLL and I really appreciate your time and expertise. Thank you so much for having me. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.